Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be part of your day. Hope you're having a good day. Here's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to talk uh, beef trade with Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, get Colin's thoughts on markets around the world, including the European Union. Are we going to get more beef into the EU or not? We'll be talking about that. Scott Richmond, the chief economist for the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us from the big export exchange going on in Minneapolis this week. And we'll talk about uh, export possibilities, potential for ethanol. And then we'll talk transportation this harvest season with mike steenhook he's executive director of the soy transportation coalition big crop but the harvest is getting stretched out a lot of crop going into storage Uh, what is the transportation situation we'll talk with mike steenhook about that a little bit later on but right now we kick things off with chris clayton with dtn a traveling man chris how are you doing well mike how much so Good. Uh, you know, speaking of traveling, speaking of moving, uh, this story about USDA's plans to relocate its Economic Research Service and the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, you know, that seemed to be kind of a, a an inside story. It certainly would impact employees that worked at those agencies when if they're going to be moved away from Washington, D.C. and out into other parts of the country. But this, this story continues to grow, doesn't it? I mean, the controversy surrounding it, and now the the competition among different parts of the country, different cities that uh, would uh, like to host, be the host site for these agencies. Yeah, USDA put out a uh, list yesterday, something like 136 locations, uh, 35 states, um, made, made different pitches. Um, so there are a lot of different places that uh, see an opportunity there. Um, within, you know, the D.C. Beltway, people see, though, the risk that uh, if you're taking particularly maybe ERF out of USDA offices, it makes it more difficult and more challenging maybe for these economists to uh, to go, you know, to go over to FSA to get data, things like that. Um, you know, as far as inside the, the the employees themselves, it's not just the employees, but most likely a lot of those people probably also have family who also work in different parts of the federal government, maybe within other agencies, the USDA. So it becomes more complicated that way. So, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but uh, certainly. A lot of people are affected by it with their jobs and where they're going to live, but uh, this competition, and then whoever gets, uh, you know, awarded the uh, the hosting of these uh, agencies, then there'll be a lot of scrutiny about why did they, why were they chosen and things like that. So we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, uh, interesting story, a California judge has maintained the jury verdict that Roundup made by Monsanto caused a former groundskeeper's cancer. They did reduce the amount of money the company would have to pay from that $289 million figure, but still it's uh, now at $78 million. Uh, interesting case. So what do you see happening next there, Chris? Well, I imagine Bayer will continue to seek an appeal up to the Ninth Circuit, um, and you might even see the... Um, 
the the plaintiff's lawyers also appeal that the judge re- reduced the uh, reduced the uh, damages. But uh, this is a public relations war um, between people who uh, defend the science that says glyphosate is safe versus the people who take the uh, take the position that uh, glyphosate is uh, dangerous and causes uh, uh, non what do you call Hodgkin's disease. Uh, so this is a big, huge public relations battle uh, going on within uh, ag science right now over just what this will mean if this verdict continues to stand. Yeah, it'll have ramifications, I would say, moving forward, and we'll see what how that finally plays out. Meanwhile, uh, interesting meeting today. We have uh, top regulators from both USDA and FDA at a uh, joint public meeting on cell-based meat or fake meat or imitation meat. But uh, the battle is who has regulatory authority over uh, this product. Is it USDA or FDA? Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this. Yeah, and, you know, FDA has a lot of history dealing with cell cultures, which is where this meat is produced. And uh, I was at the meeting back in July when FDA made its case and said, you know, we have a long history of dealing with cell cultures. It's kind of interesting that the groups that are most resistant to wanting to see this, these products sold anyway, want USDA to regulate them. You know, NCBA wants USDA to regulate the, quote, fake meat industry. Why does, why does NCBA feel that USDA ought to have the, the final oversight of this? Um, it's going to be a continuing, I think, at the end of the day, you want both of these agencies somehow involved in regulating this these products, uh, USDA, when it gets to the point it's actually a meat product ready to go out the door, and FDA regulating and managing the cell culture aspects of these products. Uh, so both sides will be dealing with it, but uh, then you're going to get into a long debate about labeling, uh, a long debate about uh, how these products are presented to the public, and uh, within the livestock industry, you know, how these products compete with, uh, you know, your traditional meat products. Well, we've seen, uh, obviously, the dairy industry has not been happy with FDA over allowing uh, uh, so much leeway to imitation or plant-based products that claim to be dairy and, and milk and things like that. And I think the beef industry has pointed to that, saying that's why FDA should not have oversight on this product. Uh, that's a very good point. You know, it, it, there are going to be a lot of defining on how this uh, how this stuff is is labeled and uh, excuse me presented to the public. Um, and what does it mean when you know how the average consumer interprets when you see two different packs of hamburger, you know, and, and one coming from a regular plant. It's interesting though that the the packing industry, the traditional packing industry, is investing a lot of money in these companies that are producing these products. Uh, they see some sort of opportunity down the road to really take off with these products. And we'll have to see what this really means. Uh, it, this is really a you know, real reflection, though, you know, kind of basically something like what you've seen in the glyphosate case where science is 
you know, kind of getting maybe a bit ahead of what consumers and the regular industry are used to dealing with. Yeah, so we'll see how that comes out. Maybe there will be some kind of a shared uh, oversight, uh, you know, authority between the two agencies. We'll see what they come up with. All right, Chris, thanks a lot for being with us. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, and have a good uh, rest of the week, Mike. All right? You too. You too. Take care. Chris Clayton with DTN. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk trade, especially beef trade, with Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Are we going to move more U.S. beef into Europe? Or are they finally going to open up more or not? We'll talk about that in other key markets around the world. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. It's not just storing grain, it's storing quality. At FS, quality isn't just a promise, it's a statement. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. From the American Ag Network. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money saving, just like FDA approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit FDA.gov slash generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. 
Information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to visit with Colin Whittall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. Mike, it's good to be with you today. Haven't talked with you since the announcement came out about the the USMCA, the Mexico-Canada Agreement with the U.S. Uh, As we continue to look for details and, of course, have to wait for its passage, but as you see it now, did from the beef perspective, did we gain very much or did we just keep what we had to do no harm uh, uh, that you had asked for going into this? Well, other than the name, it actually came out pretty good for us. USMCA just doesn't flow like NAFTA used to flow. No. So we're all getting used to saying USMCA. But when you look at the beef and cattle trade provisions, they did not change anything to where we were uh, with NAFTA to where we are now uh, with USMCA. And that's good because that's exactly what we asked this administration to do was to leave the beef and cattle trade provisions alone because they were working for us. So they did heed our request to do no harm. We're excited that this got done. Uh, To be honest with you, it it got done quicker than we expected. Once we got to the Mexican election in July, Mike, we really felt that this thing was done until 2019. So the fact that they were able to get the negotiations completed, I think, is a good sign. And now the big push is going to be for all of us here in Washington, D.C., in the ag community to get Congress to act just as quickly as possible. Okay, so do no harm was put in there, uh, and you think that's been achieved. But in the meantime, through all this, was harm done as far as beef trade is concerned? It wasn't because NAFTA continued as uh, as it was set up. Uh, the harm that we have seen has been directly from the tariffs uh, placed on us by the Chinese government as retaliation to the steel and aluminum tariffs and also to the intellectual property tariffs. Uh, that basically has shut off our access to China, and that's been a that's been a hit because, of course, we just reestablished our access to China in 2017. So it was right at the year mark when these retaliatory tariffs were put in place, effectively uh, taxing us at about 65 percent, uh, which just shuts off our access. It's going to cost us about at least 70 million dollars, maybe a little bit more. In the grand scheme of things, it's not a whole lot, but every dollar helps for us. But we've had to step back a little bit and look at the long-term play. And the president is really trying to get China to address the non-tariff trade barriers, like their ban on beta agonists, their ban on the use of implanted hormones. If he is successful in taking those down, then we can take what was a $70 million market in 2017, early 2018, and USMEF says that we could take that to a $4 billion market, and that's what we're willing to, uh, to to look at. So the president says short-term pain for long-term gain. When it comes to China, we're supporting what the president's doing. Talking with Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, Colin, what is the situation with the European Union? Are we going to get more access into that market for our beef products? Right now, we are focused on the issue of the MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding that was put in place in 2009 that carved out a quota for non-hormone-treated cattle. Uh, 
uh, for us to be able to send the beef from uh, non-hormone treated cattle into the EU market. Unfortunately, over the past decade, uh, our access under that quota has been eroded by the Australians and the Brazilians. And that quota was meant for us so that way we would stop retaliating against the EU. And the reason why we were retaliating is because the WTO, the World Trade Organization, had found in our favor that the EU's ban on implanted hormones was illegal and against science. Since that quota was meant for us and the Australians and the Brazilians have taken that away, we started working with the U.S. Trade Representative to uh, threaten bringing retaliation back. And that has forced them to the table to visit with us about how we can uh, get this quota arranged in a way that preserves the quota only for U.S. beef. And there has been some actions by the European Union to uh, authorize their negotiators to come and talk to us about how we make that happen. So that's, that's really our, our first priority. The second priority is looking at the talks that the president has on a bigger EU agreement, and we would love to put pressure on them to ultimately drop that tariff or that uh, ban on implanted hormones so that way we could have even more access to the EU. I have thought all along a deal with the European Union, a big trade deal, especially for agriculture, would be a heavy lift because of the long history of differences and the baggage that comes to the table with that, their position on hormones and different things like that. Uh, Are you at all optimistic that a major trade deal that would be good for U.S. agriculture can be struck anytime soon with the EU? No, I'm not, Mike, and the reason why is exactly what you just laid out, the long history here and their unwillingness to look at production technologies and science. And then you step back even further and you look at the conversations the EU has had with the U.S. government. They don't want to look at agriculture at all in an EU-U.S. agreement. So we have a lot of work to do before we could even have a chance of seeing some improved access. But there is the opportunity, however, to look at the United Kingdom, because in a post-Brexit world, we've already seen the announcement that the U.S. is going to start looking at a U.S.-United Kingdom agreement. Uh, The Brits in the past have been a little bit easier to work with. So if we can make some inroads with Great Britain, then that could help set a precedent for us to put even more pressure on the European Union. Yeah, that would seem much more doable than a deal with the European Union, but maybe could lead to something uh, down the road with the EU. All right, uh, Colin, what about Japan? Now, the president has talked about uh, working on a trade deal with Japan. Uh, What are your thoughts there? We really see this as one of the biggest victories here in the fall because the Japanese government has consistently told us that they want the United States to rejoin TPP rather than doing a bilateral agreement. So the fact that they are now willing to sit down and we have a formal agreement to begin a U.S.-Japan bilateral trade agreement is is a great sign because our concern has been that once TPP is implemented for the other 11 countries on January 1st, that they will, uh, in particular Canada and Australia, they will have a tremendous advantage over us going into Japan, which historically has been our top market, at least here for about the past four or five years. Uh, We don't want to lose that market, and the only way we can preserve it is to make sure that we start stepping down our tariff 
and that would happen in a Japan-U.S. trade agreement. So we are encouraging the president and U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Dowd to move just as quickly as they can to get this done so that way there's not a uh, huge lag time between implementation of TPP and implementation of a Japan-U.S. agreement. Is there another key market out there that we don't have a trade agreement with now that you would like to see get done that could really uh, boost our beef exports? For us, it's making sure that we address the Chinese situation. Uh, That, as I said, if we could have the opportunity to trade with the Chinese, much like we do with the Japanese and the South Koreans, uh, the, the thought of a $4 billion beef market uh, is really, really appetizing. And so that's where we're spending a lot of our time with the president is saying, let's let's look at how we get the Chinese situation resolved in our advantage so that way we can have true free access and base this agreement on sound science. So uh, we're, we're pushing for the, the Chinese effort over anything else. Well, as you said earlier, you're willing to go with the short-term pain for long-term gain. The problem is it seems like it may be a little longer than short-term, or the short-term pain could last a while. It sounds like this could be a long-term situation working something out with China. Mike, you're right. It it very well could be a a long process to get it done. Um, At this point in time, though, we, we really don't know. So we are putting a lot of faith in the president and his trade team to move as quickly as possible. Uh, We will continue to evaluate how these tariffs are hitting beef access and the bottom line for beef producers. And if we have to reevaluate in the future, we may do so. But at this point in time, we really want him to tackle these non-tariff trade barriers in the Chinese market. All right. Good to talk with you again, Colin. Overall, how do you feel, given all these tensions, real quick, Are you um, pleasantly surprised we're moving as much product as we are, given the problems we've had the last several months? We are. Here we have just bang up exports. We're going to set another record, I believe, here in 2018. So given all the, the stumbles we've had throughout the year, to be able to set these kind of records makes us feel really good. Yeah, that's a that's a bright side in all this that's been going on. We talk a lot about the, the negatives and the problems, but there's still a lot of good sales going on. Colin, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Big meeting going on this week in Minneapolis, the Export Exchange. One of the sponsors of that is the Renewable Fuels Association. Their chief economist, Scott Richmond, will join us next. We'll get a report on how that meeting is going and look at the prospects for more ethanol exports around the world. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, 
we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Global stocks slumping on Tuesday as worries about economic growth and downbeat earnings outlooks from bellwether U.S. firms rippled across the markets. For the grain and oil seed sector, fairly quiet. Traders continue to watch improving harvest weather. The nation's soybean harvest falling a bit behind the normal pace last week. 53% of the soybean crop harvested as of Sunday, according to USDA, 16 points behind the five-year average. Corn harvest also slowing last week, 49% complete. Harvest was only two points ahead of the average pace of 47. January soybeans eked out a minor gain to begin the week, but were near unchanged to a bit defensive on this Tuesday. The short-term soybean trend is weak in a correction phase, with a top and major resistance for January beans at 9.06 and a quarter. Monday's low at 8.69 and a quarter is initial support. December corn rebounded to a slightly firmer close on Monday. We are firm on this Tuesday, December 3.69 and three quarters, holding a above the 20-day moving average at 367 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck, lean hog futures trending higher on a Tuesday, 65 to 95 cents better. Live cattle, 65 to a dollar 15 lower. Feeder cattle, dollar 65 to two dollars lower. Cash cattle activity probably won't be tested on this Tuesday. Bids and asking prices not well established. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 500 points, NASDAQ down 188, S&P down 60, December crude in New York down $1.96. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, every other year, the Renewable Fuels Association, Growth Energy, and U.S. Grains Council sponsor was called an export exchange. This year it's in Minneapolis, and more than 200 international buyers and end users of coarse grains and co-products from about 35 countries are in Minneapolis this week for the export exchange. I've attended this meeting in the past. 
it's a very good one. It uh, brings a lot of people together, a lot of buyers and sellers. Here with a report from the Export Exchange is the Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association, Scott Richmond. Scott, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Glad to be here. It's going uh, It's going very well. Thank you. Uh, you know, I remember being at this in the past, and you see a lot of people talking, a lot of uh, discussions going on in the hallways, as well as the, uh, you know, the, the actual meetings and the seminars that go on. It's a lot of education, but it's also a lot of uh, a time for a lot of good contacts to be made, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely happening. Like you mentioned, we have, uh, we have a few hundred attendees here. Uh, we have people from more than 35 countries. Uh, we have uh, U.S. co-product suppliers, and it's a, there's really no substitute, even today with all the information that's, uh, that's available out there, there's really no substitute for, uh, for FaceTime uh, to have with, uh, with international buyers along with our co-product suppliers uh, from here in the U.S. Uh, just this morning, I was talking to uh, a poultry producer from South America and uh, talking to the general manager there. They were asking some pretty fundamental questions about the markets, uh, for distillers grains uh, about um, nutrition related to distillers grains and I was able to provide them with market information we've got a nutritionist from uh, from Tyson who's going to be speaking this afternoon there's really uh, you know given the breadth of, uh, of countries that are destinations for our distillers grains uh, there's really no substitute for having uh, everybody here together in one place and being able to provide the information they need and, and making those contacts and networking just like you were just talking about it has been a very bright spot even with all the trade tensions uh, going on these days but when we look back over the last uh the recent history last year or two the the growth in ethanol and ethanol co-product exports has been tremendous yes we're, we're no longer a domestic industry last year uh, ethanol exports were at uh, record levels. Uh, if you take a look at uh, what's going on with distillers grains, uh, there's been tremendous growth both in the volume of distillers grains that we export and actually the share of our output uh, that goes to export markets. And one thing that some people might not realize that I think is really important about the distillers grains markets is that we really have a good diversity of destinations uh, to which we ship uh, distillers grains. Uh, Mexico has long been the, uh, you know, the number one or number two uh, destination. They've long been a top destination, uh, and with the new, uh, with the new trade agreement with Mexico, having that uh, nearly cemented, uh, that's going to be very helpful. Um, same thing with uh, with Canada uh, as an important destination. But there are a number uh, of Asian countries uh, that take uh, distillers grains, and I really think that's a tribute to. Uh, the hard work that's been uh, that's been uh, uh, extended by uh, both our organization, especially our uh, industry partners, in going and kind of doing the blocking and tackling that's been necessary to build those markets over the years. So, roughly one out of every three tons of DDGs we produce are ex- are actually exported. I mean, one out of every three tons is that is that the uh, ratio? Roughly, that's about correct. Yeah. So, Very little bit yeah. by the year, but it's pretty. That's pretty good. Pretty on right. target. So, so that is significant. And as far as ethanol itself, right? I mean, we're seeing more countries around the world, whether it's uh, to clean up their air or whatever the reason may be, more countries interested in uh, buying ethanol from us, right? 
Absolutely. Um, there's there's two components to that. One is uh, is clean air uh, mandates uh, and interest in uh, in uh, using renewable fuels and cleaning up their air. Uh, there's a number of countries, especially over in Asia, uh, that really need some assistance uh, on that side of things. And the other is just simply that, uh, especially over this last year, uh, ethanol has been uh, not only uh, a very inexpensive source of uh, source of octane uh, that's needed in today's automobiles, but uh, it's just been basically cheap as a uh, as a fuel as well. Uh, at times we've gotten to 70, 75, 80 cents below wholesale gasoline uh, here in the United States, and the ability for us to be the uh, the lowest cost provider of octane uh, domestically and uh, to overseas markets and just a very inexpensive source of fuel uh, has really bolstered our, our exports. We're talking with Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association from the uh, export exchange going on in Minneapolis. Scott, as we look at some of those countries uh, around the world, kind of give us an idea. You know, we know tensions with China, that's been a setback, but what are some of the other key markets around the world? Yeah, so Mexico, as I mentioned, Mexico and Canada, our, our neighbors to the uh, to the south and the north, have been uh, have been very good customers for distillers' brains uh, over a number of years, uh, and uh, those markets continue to uh, to chug along uh, and uh, and to and to grow. In fact, um, so those have been good uh, stalwart destinations for our, our exports. Uh, the area where we've really been able to grow. Uh, over time uh, has been in Asia. And as you mentioned, we are having uh, a little bit of a hiccup right now uh, with, uh, with trade with, uh, with China. Uh, hopefully that will get resolved and on terms that are uh, you know, good for the United States and good for, good for China. But there have been a number of other countries uh, overseas uh, that have become solid destinations. Uh, South Korea uh, has been one of those, Thailand, uh, Indonesia, uh, and uh, Vietnam has really come on uh, in the last few years. There were some uh, some trade issues uh, a year or two ago, uh, but those have been resolved, and they've really bounced back. So um, our industry partners, our U.S. distillers, grains, marketers, have done a great job of uh, growing both, both bulk uh, and uh, containerized uh, destinations over the years, and I think the breadth of uh, the number of countries that are destinations is really tribute to that. Is cleaner air one of the big reasons, one of the big selling points for ethanol to them? Uh, absolutely. There's a lot of countries that are um, that are destinations for our for our ethanol uh, that are also destinations for uh, that are also destinations for our uh, distillers grains. Uh, Canada has long been one of the top countries. Uh, Brazil uh, is a big, uh, a big destination for uh, ethanol. Uh, they've long believed in uh, in using ethanol, and uh, they're not so much a big taker of, uh, of distillers' range, but they're a, a major uh, destination for uh, for ethanol. Um, if you look at uh, China, it, it both uh, both ethanol and distillers' grains have been a little bit caught up uh, by the trade issues that we've had, but China in the past has been uh, a large, uh, though somewhat uh, fluid market for uh, for both of those commodities, and hopefully that will get uh, resolved successfully again. 
but if you look at China, if you look at uh, a country like India, both of those countries uh, have real uh, clean air needs uh, on the ethanol side of things. And um, we think that uh, that our product, uh, it's, uh, it's inexpensive, it can clean their air, uh, it can help with their, uh, with their fuel supplies, and we think we have a really winning message uh, on ethanol as well as, as well as the solar strains in many of those countries. Scott, I always find it ironic and frustrating that other countries around the world uh, more readily see those attributes for ethanol than some people right here in our own country. Right. Well, there's a lot of competing voices uh, out there right now. But the one thing that we can say uh, is that the ethanol industry uh, has been an unmitigated uh, success. It's been a, it's been tremendous for uh, our farmers. It's been tremendous for uh, investors, uh, and we have been able to grow a, uh, a renewable uh, source of fuel, uh, add to the fuel supply, uh, bring down. Uh, consumer prices uh, and provide uh, better uh, better fuels uh, all at the same time. So um, there are a lot of competing voices out there right now, but uh, we think that over time we have the winning message and that will come through. One thing is for sure, and it's being witnessed right there at the meeting you're at, the Export Exchange, ethanol has become a global industry, hasn't it? Our U.S. ethanol industry is now a global player. Absolutely. We, we export, and it may not sound like much, but we export roughly uh, 10% of our output uh, to other countries. And uh, we've reached record levels of exports. Uh, and our industry is geared up in order to be able to supply those markets. Uh, they depend on us, uh, or they, they rely on us uh, to provide them with renewable fuels that are, uh, that are cost-effective and help them clean up their air. And uh, I think that over the years, uh, over the coming years, uh, the export markets for us are going to become an ever more important uh, part of our overall uh, of our overall industry. And uh, our partners, the Renewable Fuels Association, uh, and our partners, especially the U.S. Grains Council, have been working very hard on that. And I think we're having a good amount of success uh, today. Yeah, it is a tremendous success story, and I know a lot of good contacts are being made there at the Export Exchange. Scott, thanks for being with us. Thanks for the report. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Take care. Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association from the big Export Exchange going on in Minneapolis. It is amazing uh, to see how far the U.S. ethanol industry has come in, in really a relatively short period of time. And then not, not only the success, uh, the acceptance here domestically uh, in our fuel uh, supply, but now how it has grown around the world. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, transportation issues this harvest season. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, joins us next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hello, I'm Mike Mandel, inventor of MyPillow. My employees and I would like to thank you for making MyPillow possible. Years ago, when I invented MyPillow, I thought I was the only one out there with problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat, I'd flip-flop all night or wake up with a sore neck or headache. So that's why I invented my pillow. You can adjust my pillow's patented fill to your exact individual needs to help you get to sleep faster and stay there longer to get the quality sleep you need. I back it with my 10-year warranty and my 60-day money-back guarantee. And now to thank you, I'm bringing back my best offer ever. Buy one of my MyPillows and get another one absolutely free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. That's right, it's back. Buy one MyPillow and get a second one free. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538. Immediately, that's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, 
publicity and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, as Harvest 18 continues to roll along and uh, trade issues continue to be worked on, a lot of grain in storage, what about the transportation situation this year? Let's talk about it with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Is the fact that so much grain is indeed going into storage, a lot of uh, harvest still to be done yet, is that uh, keeping us from having any bottlenecks or real big problems on transportation this year? Is that a is that a bright side to maybe some of the uh, lack of exports that we would normally hopefully be seeing at this time of year? Yeah, I certainly think that's part of it. So I think there is a lot of capacity overall with this system, particularly with rail uh, out to the Pacific Northwest, that whole corridor. You know, we're not sending a lot off those export terminals near Portland and Seattle. So obviously due to the downturn in, in a trade with China. Uh, but one of the things that we are seeing on the river system is, and this is unrelated to China or, or the delayed harvest, is because of all of the excessive rainfall that we've had, uh, there are segments of the inland waterway system, particularly on the Mississippi River, that is currently closed and isn't scheduled to be reopened until later this week. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, while the, the harvest is late, so there's not as much being thrown at the system right now, um, that is complicating matters with the inland waterways. And, of course, as I said, we just have a lot of grain going into storage, storage becoming a premium in many places. Uh, we're seeing uh, bags out in the fields and things like that. So, I mean, uh, eventually there's going to be a lot of crop to move, hopefully somewhere soon. Yeah, you know, and there's, so there's going to be, you know, what's expected to be a very substantial harvest. And so farmers are going to be asking themselves, well, well we, one of our big marketing opportunities, China, is no longer, is not as robust. So what am I going to do with these soybeans? So do I store it on site? Do I need to acquire some new storage? Well, farmers are going to be reluctant to do that, spend a lot of money on that if they think it's, this thing is going to be resolved in the foreseeable future. Um, do they truck it to longer distances than they normally would in order to access maybe some pockets where there's livestock uh, production? Do you send it down to, say, the river, uh, down to St. Louis, for example? So there's going to be a lot of this kind of in kind of a different discussion than we normally have yeah. had, um, and so that's that's certainly a unique time this 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 year. Yeah, I was thinking that very same thing. This is just such a different year, different harvest season, different set of scenarios, situations, and we're than we're used to seeing. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. All right, Mike. Uh, since we last talked, uh, are we seeing any real improvements being done on infrastructure? Well, you know, we we have we did recently have a Water Resources Development Act get passed by the Senate. It earlier got passed by the House and then the, the recently by the Senate and to be signed into law by the President. So Congress is doing better on the whole inland waterway issue. There has been 
increased funding appropriated to this. We recently had this this uh, lock and dam project on the Ohio River called Olmstead Lock and Dam that finally got completed in late August. And so uh, there has been some things that have actually gotten done. And, and the barge industry, agriculture, those who have really been adamant about this issue, they you know we really do need to celebrate that. But there is a lot that remains to be done, and so yeah, we're we're going to continue to really advocate for this. And you know, the the argument that I make is during this time of challenge within agriculture, as the federal government explores what tools they have in their toolbox to help agriculture, our argument is may infrastructure investment be one of those tools that the federal government embraces. And so that's something that we're going to increasingly be talking about about locks and dams, dredging our ports, rural bridges all of those things that are really important to make sure that we've got a seamless and street and efficient cost-effective journey from where where soybeans are grown to where they're consumed yeah that's a good point and as we've often said it's long overdue but uh, now would be a, a great time to see more action on that it, but again it doesn't seem to be at the forefront it doesn't seem to be you know a priority like uh, we'd hoped it was going to be yeah, and that's a real, that is a frustration. It's kind of been perpetually on the on-deck circle infrastructure. We want it to be in the batter's box. And we're hopeful after the midterm elections that it will finally make that journey to the batter's box and something bipartisan, um, comprehensive, can actually be done. But, of course, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know an issue like infrastructure, like a host of other things on the American people's to-do list, it often falls victim to politics and some of these things that really don't make the world a better place, but yet our elected officials seem to devote disproportionate attention and time to it. And so that's, but it's really incumbent upon us to make sure that we're insistent upon, hey, we, we need things to get done on infrastructure. We need to really frame the argument in an appropriate way, and we need to just be adamant about it, not just express this once, but be very frequent in how often we express it and building coalitions with other entities. And so that's something that we're certainly going to continue to do. Yeah, I thought this would be, you know, a slam dunk early on. This would be an issue where you could have bipartisan support and get something done. Now I'm not sure they're even looking to find anything that has that could be a bipartisan project. They're, everything's so partisan right now. Yeah, and, and you know, that's, that's a real frustration. You know, one of the things that uh, one of my observations is on this aid package that has been $12 billion that's been extended to agriculture is whether you are the dispensers of that aid, the government, or whether you are the recipient of that aid, farmers, no one likes it. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, no one likes it. You know, the policymakers would rather spend taxpayer dollars on investing in our country, in our long-term competitiveness, and farmers would rather make their money by actually selling to customers. And so that's, I, I do think it opens the door for us to say, hey, federal government, hey, you know, the aid package may indeed be necessary, but let's also expand our perspective here, is if you really want to help agriculture and the broader economy long term, invest in infrastructure because you're going to be benefiting us today, tomorrow, the weeks and months and years to come. So let's make sure that we're devoting attention to that as well. Mike, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation 
Coalition. All right, that's going to wrap it up for today. Coming up tomorrow, we'll get into more of these issues, whether it's trade, the ag economy, uh, what's going on with the harvest, much, much more. As always, you can contact me, Mike Adams, at AmericanAgNetwork.com or on Twitter, at MikeAdamsAg. Hey, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day, everyone. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture.